Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. All right, we're back here. This is the Investor Coaching Show. I am Paul Winkler, talking about money and investing. And um, there was an article that I ran into, Jim, and it was about a 401k lawsuit. Now, 401ks, let me just talk in general. 401k is when an employer sets up a 401k for their employees, they have a fiduciary responsibility. They have to do what is in the employee's best interest. And sometimes, like, you know, now we have 401ks that we actually preside over. And then in those particular instances, we take on the full fiduciary responsibility, which takes a lot of pressure off of the employer. You know, so in that particular instance, they don't have to worry about, you know, whether somebody's going to come back uh, because we act as a fiduciary and then come back on them because we act as a fiduciary, because the, you have to make sure you're choosing investment vehicles are, that are in the best interest. And it's, uh, you know, it, I've seen stuff where like, Jim, I, I saw one where there was a 401k and the employer just, I just, I don't, I think the stock market's going to crash. And they had almost all the money in cash type investments. So literally, you're looking at all kind, and you go, well, "What's wrong with that? Isn't that in their best interest?" Well, you get you can get destroyed by inflation with all, having all of your money in cash-based investments. And so many of these rules that they've put on the employers, you know, like like a lot of things, they're well intentioned, but what they end up doing is scaring the employers so much that they get frozen in terms of doing anything to actually help their employees because what what how it typically works is that the employees, uh, you know, they want to sign up and so they're given maybe a booklet and a phone number uh, and a website or something like that and then it's just like, "Okay, that's all." That's everything. You go educate yourself, mm -hmm. go choose your own stuff, just completely hands off because the employers are scared to death. I remember there was years ago, I used to do 401ks. And I didn't know what I was doing. So <laughs> it was a scary time. It's almost 30 years ago, though. So we, this is way, way in the rear, rear mirror for me. But I remember that I would bring in these people, insurance company representatives. And I remember asking the question one time when we talked about using a variable annuity inside of a 401k plan. And I thought, is this really the best thing? You know, can't we just go straight to the mutual funds and, and bypass the insurance company? Because uh, they had basically these separate accounts that acted like mutual funds and they'd be cloned after mutual funds that you would know the names of. So what happened is somebody explained it to me. He says, oh, well, the reason we use the insurance company wrapper is because now we have shared the fiduciary responsibility uh, the employer can share that with the insurance company because the insurance company determined which mutual funds to put in there, and it, it was a liability play. And I thought, oh, you know, it's, it's funny how things are so much deeper sometimes than we give them credit for being. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if you ever did much of that, but that was one of those lessons for me. No, oh, absolutely. I mean, I my 
previous life, when I got into business, I worked for an insurance company financial planning firm. And mm-hmm. so frequently some of the 401ks that I was servicing and helping people with were annuities. And they did have those, um, you know, the mutual fund clones mm-hmm. or the variable versions of funds, which frequently had higher expenses, um, right. you know, other, right. other issues. Sometimes you couldn't even find a lot of data on them. They would have a similar name, but you didn't really know what it did. I mean, it was, there were some problems. There. Yeah, you put another um, another middle person in between you and the end investment, you know, with the annuity, with the insurance company. So you have enough because the insurance company is not the end investment. They are going to actually put the money that is placed with them into investment. So you have another middle person. So you have to have some kind of an expense. There's got to be some way that they make money. Uh, so 401k lawsuit was over ESG. Environmental, social, and governance investing, which I've talked a lot about here on the show before. Uh, but they said the first lawsuit, then this was written in uh, investment news, in, in recent investment news. Uh, it's a magazine that's basically put out there for financial advisors. The first lawsuit ever uh, over the use of ESG in a 401k has officially been filed, this said. And it says, and and this is something that I haven't been fan of, uh, the ESG type of investing. I think it's gimmicky, quite frankly. I think that it, it is based on what people politically desire quite often. It sounds good. It makes them feel good. I want to invest in things that I, and, and I always point out when you invest in stocks, your money is not going to that company. Your money is going to buy that company from somebody else that already owns that company. So you're not helping, quote unquote, the company in any direct way, you know. So it's the reality of it is you you feel like you're doing good, but the question is, wouldn't you do better if you were doing better for yourself? Is is the question I've always asked. But anyway, it says in a highly litigious realm of employer sponsored retirement plans, where copycats have been riding lawyer Jerry uh, Schlichter's coattails. I don't even know who that is, but anyway, to settlements and big paydays for the better part of a decade, it was all but expected. Nor was it surprising that the plaintiff law firm in the case set its sights on a big target, American Airlines, which as of 2021 sponsored a nearly $27 billion 401k plan. So, you know, it's um, it's kind of like Bonnie and Clyde, you know, you know what, or, or, or I didn't maybe know it was it wasn't Bonnie and Clyde. Who, who was it? Um, I did a commercial about that one time. I should know this. No, it, I think it, it was uh, Bonnie and Clyde. You, yeah, that's where you, the money where is. Where the money is. OK, yeah. maybe it is. OK. <laughs> oh, no, no. It, it, yeah. It's why do you rob banks? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you rob banks? Uh, it was Willie Sutton. OK. Willie Sutton is what it was. He hung uh, out with Bonnie and Clyde. OK, did he? No, I have no idea. <laughs> I <don't> know, I, <laughs> <laughs> you, you sure about <laughs> I don't know either. Uh, but but anyway, it was uh, they, they, they went after a big target, big big four hundred one k plan. Uh, it says yeah, and this this guy's kind of showing what he thinks. The writer of the article, he says ESG has been politically vilified to critical race theory levels. That is a boogeyman that has been established to scare and rile the voter base. And I look at it and go that was not on my radar screen. None of that when I've talked about it. 
I have completely focused on investment theory and looking at when I invest, what is one of the first rules of investing that I should be looking toward? I should look toward, well, two rules. Buy low, sell high, and a lot of these ESG stocks are very high priced compared to their earnings. So I'm breaking that rule of investing and looking at it and go, that seems like a bigger, bigger problem to me. I, I don't know. Uh, then the second thing was that when I invest, do I want to concentrate or do I want to diversify more? And the answer would be diversify, diversify, diversify. And when I'm buying these companies that have gone through some kind of a screen, I am reducing my options out there and I'm less diversified. Could it be that a company, let's say that ESG, those types of policies are really good for companies. What would benefit more if ESG becomes even more prevalent? A company that's already doing what is required or a company that changes to it and then all of a sudden people go, hey, wait a minute, these guys are actually doing and, and they become more valuable. You can actually have a company that is not up to standards jump in value more once they do start following the standards if the standards are required. Because before they follow the standards, they would be discounted because investors wouldn't pay as much for them. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what you said in terms of kind of our first look at something like that, our first concern, our first priority is the word I was searching for, mm -hmm. is that how is it going to affect our likely returns going forward? And that's always kind of, as a fiduciary, that's what you have to look at. Yes. Um, the political part of it always did concern me a little bit. And I was like thinking about this even before the topic blew up in the news, thinking about this like, you know, five, six years ago, whatever, in terms of being concerned that some elements of society want to use this not to benefit people, but for control. For, that is true. For, yes. You know, for social credit. Is, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's absolutely true, because you look at cost of capital, because that was an issue with this. And lawsuits were coming out about that. Uh, we're penalizing companies that don't follow whatever standard you think is the absolute best for the environment or for social reasons or for governance reasons. And because they're not following that standard, because you are as a fund company funneling all of the money toward companies that are ESG compliant, quote unquote, you're raising the cost for other companies to use money and get access to capital. And that was the issue. So absolutely, Jim, there, there is no question a political issue in here. But, you know, for me, from my standpoint, I looked at it as this was not the reason, you know, this was not the reason I was not in favor of using that as a screen. I, I was in more fundamental reasons for not using that as a screen. Well, so what happened is this lawsuit comes out, right? And they're saying, oh, this is the boogeyman. <laughs> well, the the lawsuit, and, and, and this guy's saying, they're, they're saying it's, a it's all political, it's all political, it's all political, and that's basically what this guy is saying in this, the author of the article. Uh, but here's what the case actually says. If you read the case, it says the lawsuit Names American Airlines, Fidelity Investments, Institutional, that's the administrator, and Financial Engines, uh, the investment provider, as defendants. And they're alleging that dozens of funds available to plan participants pursue non-financial and non-pecuniary ESG policy agendas and have underperformed compared to similar investment funds. 
that's it. It's the underperformance. And that's basically what I've been talking about for a long time on this show. It's the underperformance. And if you want to do well with your money, a lot of times it's just better to make more money and then contribute to the causes that you believe in rather than because, like I said, you are not benefiting that company by owning their stock. You vote with your dollars. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's it. So that I, I think it's an interesting lawsuit. We'll see where it lands. Uh, like I said, you, you've got an employer. They're job is to be a fiduciary. They have to keep their 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 people's best interest, their employees' best interest when they're choosing investment options. I've never been a fan of that, so I've avoided it. When I've had that as choices with 401ks, people bring their 401ks in here and say, hey, can you allocate? And I look at it and go, I think I'm going to avoid that one. Uh, but that's why. Paul Winkler, you're listening to the Investor Coaching Show. We were talking about something during the break, Jim, and I thought you know, it'd be worth mentioning. Uh, there's, a t- there's a term that gets used out there in the financial world. And the term is resistance, used in psychology too. You're being resistant. It's really it's quite debatable whether a client in therapy is actually resistant or not, but we won't get into that. Oh my goodness, I could go off on a rabbit trail. Uh, so, so resistance in finance and investing is this idea that you are looking at. Why don't you explain? I'll, I'll let you go. Well, it's just there. There's a certain type of analysis, investment analysis, that is called technical analysis, mm-hmm. and what that is is looking at market movements mm-hmm. over time, whether it's daily, weekly, longer, and looking for trends that are, you know, and the the idea of resistance is that it's pushing up against the ceiling, and that it just automatically is going to meet some resistance at a certain price point. It can't just can't go above that price level. Yeah, yeah, and, and there, there's that's just part of the the whole technical analysis, uh, you know, world view. Um, we even have a funny little bit in a workshop that we talk about from a, a commercial that was on years ago. Uh-huh. But but the idea that using yeah, that the, type the, of tell, thing, tell, the, tell the funny part. Uh, what's the, the, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Well, yeah. I mean, it was, well, it's first of all, it's um, actu- an actual executive at that company is in the commercial and she's talking about like how they- Oh my goodness, they I remember these, that. I remember the Saturday Night Live skit was what it was. They have all these tools to where, um, no, this is actually the commercial from the big company, but they have all these tools. Oh, oh, oh okay. I was thinking of the skit, the Saturday now I know what you're right. talking about. It was TD Ameritrade, right? right yes. Right, okay, yeah. I remember. Yeah. And then they have all these magic tools that are predicting the future. So and so is getting dumped every Tuesday and crying, oh, and she's right. just handing, not even that's looking, right. and handing him Kleenex and all that. <laughs> yeah. And then a fish falls from the sky, a giant swordfish, and from, well, from, nobody from the wall. Yeah. yeah. Nobody yeah. could have predicted that, mm. and and which is the truest part of that commercial because stuff happens that you can't predict. And yeah. So everybody knew of, 9/11 was going to happen. Just and, you of, know, everybody knew that you know the that that all of a sudden that there was going to be some news that came out that we went to war someplace everybody knew that you know you fill in the blank with the things that actually move markets yeah and and so the the fish falling from the sky that completely blew up their whole message so it was just like people probably didn't get it but that was kind of blew up their whole message and that was the truest so part of the commercial but if you look yes. at it and the charts that they're actually pointing to in the commercial it shows market movements that are supposedly their software can predict and what happens it shows their predictions didn't work i know that's the funny part of that commercial to me is just you look at that chart that they're showing and there and this is a person high up in the company actually showing this chart and how the chart the the software works and they don't recognize that 
they actually blew it in their own commercial. It's just amazing to me. But they sell these ideas as that these are going to teach you to beat the market. We're going to teach you to, you know, get in and out of the market or mm -hmm. choose the best companies and all that type of stuff. And people buy into it because it sounds good. We'll say, oh, great. That's a good tool. I'm going to learn to do this. But there are people paid six, seven figures, huge amounts of money to try to do this stuff, get people in the markets, mm -hmm. out of the markets, buy the best companies, avoid the worst companies, that type mm -hmm. of thing. And as a group, they fail. The longer they try to do it, the more they fail. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that somebody getting online and using a couple of tools at this web company's website and all of a sudden they're going to find the magic secrets to consistently beating the market, it just falls away. It just evaporates. It is funny because you look at these types of technical charting and resistance and all this. It sounds so sophisticated. Uh, but the reality, I, I love what one academic, you know, and when you want to really lampoon something, make fun of it. And he, he actually said, I love to compare technical analysis to astrology, but I hate to give astrologers a bad name. <laughs> this is what he says. Yeah, and there's all kinds of neat tools like, oh, moving day averages or what's the VIX, you know, all the, all this type of stuff uh, yeah. that just sounds really detailed and smart. Uh, but you, again, the, you look at any evidence of those being used successful is lacking. Yeah. You know, if there were people that were successful at doing this, there'd be evidence of those people consistently doing it. And other people would imitate them, and then any premium available to doing that would be would go away. And I think one of the things to keep in mind is this. You know, I hear people tell us in the news, here's what the market is going to do. It's overvalued. Here's what it's going to do. And all I could think as I see these things why are you telling me this? Why are you, you don't even know me enough to tell me information that is this valuable. <laughs> you have no connection to me whatsoever. I am not married to your daughter. <laughs> you know, there's no reason for you to be telling me where the market is going next unless there is an ulterior motive. And that to me is the key. When you hear this stuff, recognize that they're not necessarily doing it because they just love you and they think you they owe you some kind of a great prediction. Yeah, they want they want to get you to transact. They want to get you trading, trading, you know, there's costs for trading, so that's how they make money. They want you to pay attention to their stuff if it's a, you know, not a trading platform, maybe it's a TV personality that's telling you to buy and sell or the market's going to crash or you need to get out or whatever, then they're trying to get eyeballs. So they want to get you kind of excited about stuff so you'll watch and tune in and learn mm -hmm. because that's how they make money. But none of it is there for your benefit it's mm -hmm. you know what's their agenda mm -hmm. and another thing to keep in mind is this they're saying that the market is going to crash or the market is going to skyrocket the market's going to do whatever and then always ask yourself the obvious question that i ask which is which market you know because when we look at the market you hear the dow you hear the s p you hear the nasdaq that's what they report on the news it is one area of the market mainly large companies. It is not talking about small companies, not small caps. It's not talking about small value companies. It's not talking about large value companies. It's not talking about international large, small value, emerging markets large, small value. It's which market. So recognize that when they say that, you can have years where one area of the market does go down 
and one and the rest of them go up the other direction. They do just fine. You know, so we look back through history, we see that a lot of times. Now, what happens is though is that it is and I just want to nail down that it is a prediction about the future and the future is not given to us. We desire a prediction because we fear the future. And what we do is we look at people's past performance. That's why they keep doing it. Because if they get it right, then you will come back to them for the next prediction or you will do business with them. They have a motive for giving you this information. It's not necessarily for your benefit. It is for their benefit. That's why they come out with it. People want to be seen as people that are prescient. They are smart. They're well-informed. They know what's going to happen next and that you need to listen to them because there's something in our DNA that wants, that makes it so that we want to be important to people. And one of the best ways or one of the most the quickest ways to try to get to importance is to be that person that predicted the future. And that is where it's, it becomes a folly because we know that we can't do that. I always love the analogy of the sports betting system for that prediction. And so if I make a prediction, I look good and then they're going to come back to me for more predictions. Mm -hmm. And just like the, the sports betting newsletters, things like that, that will mm -hmm. say, okay, we're going to give you a free prediction. And then mm -hmm. they'll divide it. Okay. Half the people they tell this team's going to win, mm -hmm. team A. Half mm -hmm. the people they tell team B's going to win. Mm -hmm. Well, team A wins. And so then they can go back to the t people that they gave team A to and say, see how smart we are? Yeah. So we now, nailed it. We gave you a good prediction prediction and it actually came true so why don't so now why don't we'll give you another pick but this one you have to pay for mm -hmm. and on and on and so you know and if half of those people get this get another pick that wins then they're really just, okay these guys are really smart i'm really yeah, gonna they, shell out for their customer top picks for, now. customer for life now yeah <laughs> yeah so true uh so you know that that is that's the problem with that it's um really bad stuff uh you know just stay away from technical analysis those types of things it's just really nothing but market timing another form of market timing in disguise hey this is paul winkler hope you enjoyed today's edition of the investor coaching show if you want to learn more about what we do go to our website paulwinkler.com you can watch some of the videos there and if you're not already a client you can set up a free initial consultation until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.